Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm going to talk about podcasts today. Um, does anyone in this room make podcasts by show of hands? Well, that's great. Hi, everybody. Does anyone here listen to podcasts? Cool. And everybody else, why, I don't know why exactly you're here, I guess. But maybe we'll convert you. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today, we're sharing a presentation from Andy Mills, a producer and reporter with the New York Times, who helped create their podcast, The Daily. We got a chance to meet Andy in Norway at the Fortellens Craft Conference, and he allowed us to share this with you. Today's topic, audio documentaries. Um, but quick about how I got into the podcast thing before I get to talking, um, because it's a, it's a relatively new medium, even though it feels like a really old medium, and it's not exactly fancy. Like when you think about what technologies would be booming in the year 2019, like probably didn't think that like something like radio on demand would be that big of a deal. Like it doesn't feel all that cutting edge. Um, but in just the decade or so that I've been working in this medium, I've gone from like working a little bit in the United States like public radio world, um, making some kind of bedroom pieces as I was a bartender and a barista, little stories about you know people and trying to use sound in an interesting way, to then getting a job at Radio Lab, which is a, a public radio show uh, in the U.S., but also a podcast that tries to be more creative in its storytelling. Um, and then, but even when I was working at Radio Lab, like I, I still like I had to have another job alongside that job. You know, like I still tended bar on the weekends a little bit. And then uh, this podcast Serial came out. Did anyone listen to Serial? It was great. It was great for all of us because people flocked to this podcast app on their phone. Uh, lots of people for the first time started to make podcasts a part of their daily routine, and in some ways it created this market of attention where people like myself who'd been like trying to figure out you know how to do storytelling in this new medium um, while people have their ear pods in all the time trying to bring them something fresh and different uh, we suddenly had you know people who were there we suddenly had money that was there and we could do more and more ambitious things and um, I loved my time at Radio Lab, but then during the, I don't know if you guys remember, we had an election in 2016. Uh, very stressful, very eventful in my country. And during that time, I started wondering about how to do storytelling techniques that I was learning in the world of kind of, you know, more emotional stories and more kind of scientific discoveries, like how we could use some of these techniques 
in the world of journalism, more hard news journalism, more political reporting. Um, and uh, so I, I got the job at the New York Times where uh, me and a handful of radio producers were hired by this old newspaper and essentially given complete freedom to do whatever we wanted. Uh, they were like, we trust you, you make audio things, we want some audio things, so like, see what you could do. Um, it was an amazing opportunity, and I've been there now for, it'll be three years this fall, and the two podcasts really that have uh, come out of this time, one of them is called The Daily, which is a daily news documentary, and then the other one is Caliphate, which was a, I think it was a 10-part series. Toward the end, it felt like maybe it became 11 or 12 parts, but it was a, a limited series. Uh, it was a documentary, essentially, an audio where I followed around Rukmini Kalamaki, the uh, terrorism, quote-unquote, the terrorism uh, journalist for the New York Times who covers Al-Qaeda and ISIS. That's a long way of saying. Uh, today, with the time that we have together, uh, I originally planned this like really long talk about like how amazing podcasts are and how they're going to maybe save us from the Twitter and Facebook bullshit on your phone. Uh, and maybe we'll get into that later. But I was told by somebody who had done this conference before that people really like to get like practical knowledge in how it is me and my team have done what we've done and found some success that maybe uh, you guys are looking for practical ways in which you guys could, could borrow and steal and learn. So instead, I've kind of thrown away what I was going to say, and we're going to do a lot of like show and tell, like listening and dissecting things together. Is this okay? All right, good. If you said no, it would be a little stressful. Um, so first thing I want to talk about is the um, a little bit on the daily. So when we when we first... Uh, when I first got the job at the New York Times, my boss, Lisa Tobin, she's like, what do you want to do? You can do anything you want. It's the New York Times. We have reporters all over the world. And I was like, I want to go to the Islamic State. I want to do this big documentary about why people join ISIS, about what's so captivating about the, you know, this thing happening in a dangerous part of the world that you have Americans and Canadians and Norwegians in the middle class oftentimes, leaving what seemed to be prosperous lives to go and join this cause. And my boss is like, okay, that sounds very dangerous. Do you really want to do that? <laughs> and I'm like, I do, for sure. But then a few weeks later, uh, President Trump was elected, and we realized that we had another opportunity on our hands that suddenly the news in the United States was like pretty interesting every single day. and people were listening to podcasts like weekly for a while, and then they were listening every other week. And then, and then during the election, a lot of Americans began listening to podcasts like three times a week. Like the same podcast would come out, like a, an elections podcast. They really wanted to know what was going on. And so we had this hunch that maybe we could make a podcast every single day that followed the day's news. And because that's really difficult, you don't have a lot of time to turn things around. The original idea would be that it would be kind of like a talk show where like, one person interviews another person, you edit it down, and then interviews another person, you edit it down. And it's kind of essentially smart people having a conversation, which is like a lot of what podcasts are. And yet when we started trying to make it, Theo Balcom, who was from NPR, 
and me from Radiolab, when we got together and started making things, and then Lisa Tobin, our boss, who had come from WBUR in Boston, we realized that like, it was like not good. It was kind of boring. It was kind of something that had been around uh, a while. Like it, it sounded stale. And we saw that we had this opportunity where people were going to tune in, probably at least to the first few episodes, because we're the New York Times, and you can get people's attention by being a big company, and there's going to be a big PR that goes out there that says, you know, the New York Times is trying a daily podcast. And we were the very first daily news podcast in the U.S., and we knew that we would get some attention, and we thought, like, why would we waste that attention by making something that sounds like something that already exists? And as we started to experiment with what we could do with storytelling, we started leaning a lot more on, on what we call like narrative journalism instead of daily news journalism, which daily news has kind of a rhythm to it. You kind of say everything right at the beginning that you need to know, and then you kind of repeat yourself, and it, it, people, you know, very short stories, and we wondered if we could do something different. And um, this is where the show and tell, I think, will begin. Because I want to play you, and this is not to diss anyone, but I'm going to play you uh, a, a section of NPR's daily podcast called First Up and how they covered a story. And then I'm going to play you the way that we covered the story. And then I'm going to draw some scribbles on this thing and talk about how we make those things and what's different. Does that sound okay? That sound, look, we're going to do some, some listening together. I don't know if you usually are washing dishes when you listen to podcasts or whatever. You can imagine you're there if you need to. Um, but yeah, this is from August 1st. Uh, I'm sorry, this is, this is from uh, August 14th. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. Many sides. That didn't sit well with a lot of people. I'm David Green. That's Rachel Martin. And this is Up First from NPR. President Trump's comments came after white supremacists clashed with counter-protesters during a violent weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia. What does the president risk here by coming off as soft on extremist groups? And is America's far right growing in strength and number? Plus, President Trump raised the specter of a U.S. military option in Venezuela last week. This week, Vice President Mike Pence is in South America. What kind of welcome is he likely to get? Stay with us. We're going to guide you through this day's news. Okay, so this isn't us, right? This is NPR. This is the kind of flagship audio program in the U.S. People who like audio news, NPR news is where they turn. And you'll notice that right away, they've already said Trump. And this clip was like... 45 seconds long, and they said Trump three times. They referred to the president. You hear the president. They have a nice conversational tone. Like, they're not exactly, I'm not here to say it's bad, but it's like very much a focus on that. So, if you're an American who feels a little bit, let's say, inundated with a lot of Trump news, if you turn on this program, it's like the first thing in the morning, and you're like sipping your coffee, and it's just like Trump, 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 Trump. And it can feel a little bit over the top. Now, the story that we're doing, we're talking about, is about uh, a rally that happened in Charlottesville. Does everyone know this news story? Very big global news. So let me play you another clip whenever they finally get to that segment of how they, they get into it. 
I think it's probably worth remembering the catalyst for all of these events in Charlottesville, right? I mean, how it began before this turned deadly. Yeah, so this was a, a, a gathering. It had been held as a Unite the Right rally. Um, white supremacists and neo-Nazis uh, were protesting the city's plan to remove this Confederate statue memorializing General Robert E. Lee. Mm-hmm. Former Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke was at the rally, and he said this. This represents a turning point for the people of this country. We're going to fulfill the promises of Donald Trump. That's what we believed in. That's why we voted for Donald Trump, because he said he's going to take our country back. Former Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke there. Um, NPR Sarah McCammon is on the line with us from Charlottesville, Virginia. Hi, Sarah. Hey, good morning. So David Duke talking about this as a turning point. Was this rally ever really about Confederate monuments or or was it about much more? Okay, so the hosts there are grabbing audio. This is like very good journalism reporting right there. They're being very clear about what this is about. There was a Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, and it's an audio show, so they're, they're taking some audio of David Duke, the, this former Ku Klux Klan leader who's there, and he's saying something quite provocative. But you'll notice that the, the audio quality of that tape is pretty bad. You hear people shouting in the background, and it focuses a lot of the attention on kind of a, a central figure, um, someone who's kind of a, a notorious you know, I wouldn't want to say celebrity, but in some ways he is this kind of larger-than-life figure. And it starts there with, like, this guy who has some kind of social currency said something. And, of course, then, again, it's pointing back to the president. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a longer clip, and I'll do a lot more drawing. And once again, this is less about, like, that's bad and this is good, but it's, also, it's more about trying to find a new approach to telling these stories, especially in a world where you've got people looking on Twitter and Facebook, and they already have heard, oftentimes, the kind of big beats of the story from the social media world by the time they're actually coming to hear this story. So this is what we did on The Daily that morning, and this was produced by someone else, so I'm not really bragging. This is Someone on my team made this. I think it's rather, rather good. Cheryl Gay-Stolberg, you were there in Charlottesville this weekend as all these events unfolded. Start us at the beginning. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What was supposed to be happening this weekend? Well, what was supposed to be happening was a noon rally, uh, so-called Unite the Right rally, uh, hosted by white nationalists at Emancipation Park, formerly called Lee Park. Emancipation Park has a statue of General Robert E. Lee in the middle of it, a statue of him riding a horse. The city wants to remove the statue, and white nationalists are protesting the removal. So what actually happens this weekend? Start us, Cheryl, with Friday night. So Friday night, after dark, a band of these white nationalists came onto the University of Virginia campus 
carrying torches and they were chanting, you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us. This is just such an intimidating moment, Michael. I mean, the torch at night in here in the South just evokes memories of the KKK. And there was a, a scuffle there. There were some arrests. Um, a police officer was injured. And that was kind of the precursor to the events of Saturday. So let's talk about Saturday. There was, at 6 a.m., a sunrise service at the First Baptist Church here, a historically black church, where faith leaders and people uh, who wanted to come out and demonstrate against these alt-right protesters gathered. How sweet it is to be in the struggle for justice. They heard from Dr. Cornell West, Harvard Divinity professor and political activist, mm -hmm who told me he was coming to bear witness to the face of white supremacy. And then across town at around 9 o'clock in the morning, the alt-right white nationalists, neo-Nazi, white supremacists were gathering in a different park, a park called McIntyre Park. Okay. Now, their rally was not supposed to start until noon, but they were pulled up in their cars and their trucks with their flags and some carrying shields, some wearing helmets, you know, just getting ready for, for battle. See what I'm talking about. Look at these early, strong, proud white boys. <laughs> and they were going to head downtown to Emancipation Park. Now, mind you, their rally was not supposed to start until noon, but everything was getting going a lot earlier than expected. Hmm. So you had on the one end of the city, the people at church, which consisted of a lot of members of the clergy, about 30, and others, they had trained in the tactics of nonviolent protest. They were prepared to be arrested or to get involved in violence. They were marching to Emancipation Park. And so what you had was these two groups converging on this park where the statue was. And, and, and clearly to, to confront each other. Clearly. Now the whole park was surrounded with police barricades and police tape. And inside the barricades was a line of Virginia State Police and Charlottesville Police. And what wound up happening was the alt-right people were funneling their way into the park. The counter-protesters, uh, including some dressed in black with helmets and shields, the so-called Antifa, the anti-fascists, mm -hmm. were on the outside of the park in the street, on a street called Market Street. And so you started to have little skirmishes. I was outside the park on Market Street watching as these white supremacists tried to make their way into the park and the counter-demonstrators, including the clergy, were trying to block them. The clergy also linked arms outside the park, linking arms and singing spirituals, singing... Dynamite! 
You know this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Just praying and, and trying to be peaceful, but also trying at certain points to block the entry of the white nationalists. And the skirmishes kept getting worse and more intense. It really felt like the violence was escalating as more and more of these white nationalists kept arriving and people were trying to block them. Suddenly clubs were coming out and pepper spray was being sprayed and there were smoke bombs being thrown and both sides had bats and were beating each other and they were holding up their shields and, you know, it was truly a melee. And at about 11.22, in fact, at precisely 11.22, the governor declared a state of emergency. Virginia's Governor Terry McAuliffe declaring a state of emergency. The crowd ordered to disperse. Someone asked, how in the world did we get here? That is a good question. Cheryl, who were these white nationalist protesters and where did they come Okay, I know it was a longer bit, but... I want to talk a bit about how we made that and why, and how that ties into like the larger uh, goals that we have with the kind of audio documentary and narrative journalism that we're trying to bring to the world of the podcast. So first thing, just so you know how stuff gets made, is that we don't have a lot of time. It's a daily show. You've got to turn things around by tomorrow. Um, our publishing time is 6 a.m., and Sometimes we take all the way through the night till 6 a.m. to get everything ready. So the clock is kind of running. And we'll, we'll make, before any of this is made, we'll often make something that looks a lot like this. Just sitting in a room, thinking about what we want the listener to hear. We'll actually draw something up that looks not too dissimilar from this. I mean, it looks better because it's like a big whiteboard and I'm kind of cramming some things into this thing. But we think about, like, if this were going to be a movie, where are the scenes? What are the visuals that we need? Uh, we, we, we think about the story, when's it going to start? What was supposed to happen this weekend? Okay, what actually happened? Well, first you've got to start with Friday, and then all the way to the, the, the thing that people read about on their phone, the, the, the big headline that there was somebody, sadly, who was killed, uh, that the president said some not very wise things about what happened, or maybe not very sensitive things about what happened. Everyone knows that. We're like, let's take what you know, that thing, the big headline news. Like, we want to give you the contexts. So you'll hear this whole time, we're not even talking about that yet. We haven't mentioned the president. We're going to give you Friday, we're going to give you Saturday morning, all the way up until like by the time you hear the big headline news of the day, we don't even have to say it. You're just like, oh shit, that's why people are mad. That's what happened. And if we're doing it well in the storytelling model, it's, 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 we don't have to tell you, like take my authority, I'm the New York Times, I'm a reporter, this is what you should think, this is what happened, trust me. Uh, what we're doing is we're just telling you what she witnessed. Cheryl Gay Stilberg, New York Times reporter, is here in the story. She was there, she was here, she was here, she stood here, and she's just bearing witness to what she saw. And luckily, she also 
you know, thanks to the smartphone, she was recording a lot of things, a lot of the audio that was happening around her. And then we as producers, we knew that there was a lot of this audio that was on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, on Instagram. And so we started just ripping all the audio that we could to try and create the scene as well as we could. And the style that we do is that we, we don't tell the reporter that we're going to be talking to. So Cheryl Gay Stilberg doesn't know what questions we're going to ask her beforehand. Uh, the producers, as we write the questions for Michael, the host of our show, we, we're, what we're constantly doing is trying to think of how to have a conversation that can get us what we need to get. And then we pretty much just you know, edit out our questions and our prompting. So when she's you know, describing the songs at the church and what they were singing, right? We had some audio from that, but we wanted to know about those, and then we wanted to get a real sense before the clash begins, like, who were they? What were they? Like, what did they look like? Where were they at? Where were they moving? And we try and create a sense of actual movement to by the time you're at the park, you realize that these people are chanting one thing, that these people are chanting that. We don't have to put a value on it. This is just literally what happens step by step, slowly, slowly, slowly. And then a new group suddenly emerges, Antifa. And like this group, they have gotten pepper spray and they've got bats and they've got shields. And then I love this. Uh, we talk about like voice a lot in this kind of world. And the New York Times has historically had... Um, a somewhat, you know, proper voice. And like, there's nothing I love better for, like, I want the listener to kind of forget for a second that they're hearing from a reporter and they just want to be in the midst of a scene and a story. And like, having a singing reporter is like my favorite thing. And like, how we do this is that when Cheryl's on the phone, usually for these, you know, or, or the reporter's on the phone, we're saying to her over and over again, all right, what did it look like? Oh, you went there? What did it look like? What colors did you see? What did you think about that? When she talked about the torches at night circling the thing, we're like, and, and why is that significant? Like, why did that mean what it meant? And of course, we're just editing out these things, and in the end, we're making her sound as if she's just this great story. Well, she is a great storyteller, you know, but like, that's our work as producers. We're, we're prompting these questions in the interviews to get the details that we want, to get the movement that we want, to try, like a film does, to have a, like moments of, of close-ups, you know, where you're hearing the, the kind of profanity-laced chants here, when you're hearing the songs here, when she describes that bats got pulled out and you start to hear that, the, the, the kind of, like, wanting the granular details of the story at each beat, like, as we, as we stack them up, it's, it's, maybe it's, like, very obvious, but I think that it's something that doesn't get done a lot in audio, is that, like, we're trying to be granular, we're trying to be detailed so that you're not hearing a bunch of vague statements that essentially feel like a camera. Like, I, I compare it to, like, a film. Like, in some movies, the, you know, the camera can kind of just stay the same distance away from the action, but in a lot of good movies, it kind of zooms in at the emotional part, and then there's a drone that goes overhead at this part, and, like, we're trying to do the audio equivalent of taking a lot of different angles at what's happening, and so you'll notice she kept mentioning time, she was like, it was supposed to start at noon, but earlier. It was, you know, these people came out early in the morning, they were going here, and then she said, at exactly 11.22, the governor declared a state of emergency. So you know that that was before it was even scheduled to happen, right? This, this, is, a, this is about things not going the way that they were planned um, in, in, in all of this kind of a setup. Like, the difference between what, you know, they were up to here 
with like focusing on the president, focusing on this is like, this is what has historically been seen as like proper news. And what we're doing here, we, we, we wondered when we created it, like, will people even think of it as the news? And we've been really surprised to see that there's been a great response to this because it's giving a sense of context at all points and it's bringing a sense of character and story and really emotional information into what seems sometimes just be the emotion of like outrage and disgust when you're like looking through your phone and, and, and seeing the kind of basic headlines. Okay. If you have a question for Lane or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.